It was some months ago when I began to recognise the strength of the calling to, to move on in my ministry. And it suddenly struck me that there would be a last Sunday. There would be a, a last sermon. And as a minister, you, it's, it's a painful thing to, to leave a church. It's a sad thing. You kind of, there's always something else to do. There's always another challenge. And knowing that you're not going to be part of the future of, of a church that you've grown to love is, is a difficult thing. And so you want to leave with, um, with a message. And I've been praying and I've been um, thinking a lot about the last message that I feel God is calling me to share with this church. And I was led to a passage that I did not expect to be led to. It's uh, the start of Romans 16, up to the end of verse 16. And I'm going to read this, and then we're going to explore it together this morning and see what God is teaching us as a, as a church and as individuals as well. So Romans 16, Paul writes, I commend to you <clears throat> our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Please don't feel guilty if your heart was not all of a flutter during the reading. It's not the most interesting passage, is it? When I was at Spurgeon's, we were warned against preaching the lists. Avoid the lists, they're deadly. No one reads the lists and feels inspired by them. You get these lists of names, lists of strange names, unusual names, names that we can't relate to and that we know nothing about. 
avoid the lists. But as I was praying about today in this sermon, I felt drawn to that list. Because, of course, to Paul, it's not a list. We have to be very careful, don't we? When we, when we read what to us is a, a list, it could be like re- reading a phone directory when people used to have phone directories. It's not particularly interesting. When I used to work up in London, in my lunch hour, if I didn't have too much on, I used to enjoy taking a wander down to the River Thames. And I didn't work too far from the Tower of London. And opposite the Tower of London is Trinity Square Gardens. Some of you may know it. And Trinity Square Gardens is outside what used to be um, a, a, naval, a naval offices in, in London. And it's a memorial garden. There is a huge big stone archway which you can walk through. It's about probably the length of, of this sanctuary. And on the walls of this archway, as you walk through it, are lists. They're the lists of ships and the crew of those ships who served in the merchant navy and were lost during the First World War. Then there's the garden next to it, and in the garden there is a, a sunken garden. And if you go down into the, the sunken garden, which again is probably a similar size to this sanctuary, on the walls around this sunken garden are plaques. And there's thousands of names of ships and the crew that served on those ships, and they were the, the merchant seamen who were lost during the Second World War. And I used to go there and sit there and read or, or, or just spend some time out of the office if I didn't have too much to do. And I never really paid any attention to the names. It was a list. Didn't really interest me that much. And then one day I saw a family who had obviously made a special trip to come and to see this list. They were pushing a buggy and they were pushing a wheelchair. And they went down into the sunken garden and they went slowly around the wall of the sunken garden and they were reading and they found a particular plaque. And I always remember it. A very, very old lady who who could barely walk. She managed to lift herself out of the wheelchair and she walked up to this plaque. And I remember watching as she took her finger and she traced down the list to a name. There were thousands of names, I think tens of thousands of names, and she found a name. And she took the grandchild or maybe great-grandchild from the buggy and she held the child and she took the tiny finger and she traced the name. To her, that was not a list. It was far more than that. To Paul, this is not a list. It's far more than that. You see, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome. He's never never set foot in the place. He wants to, he's got ambition to, but this letter is written before he's made it to Rome. Some scholars say, well, he's writing to to a church he's never been to. How can he know all these people? This this doesn't belong in in the book of Romans. It's, It's been added at a later date. This is a mistake. But it's no mistake. Some of these people he met 
and we read about them in the book of Acts. We can find these names elsewhere in scripture, but some of these names we know nothing else about. They only feature here in this letter. But these are people who Paul has met on his missionary journeys. They've been travelling to Rome, the centre of the empire, the seat of power, the centre of trade and of politics and of learning. These people have been going to Rome and Paul has come across them and met them. And he knows they're in Rome. And so when he writes these greetings, there's a very specific... This is a very specific group of people. They have all, at some point, crossed Paul's path and made an impression on him. And as Paul writes this letter, in in chapter 15, he tells the church in Rome that he's planning to come and see them. He says, I've been longing for many years to see you, and I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul was planning on a Spanish mission. He'd gone a a long way to the east. He'd gone out to Asia. And now he was planning to go west. He wanted to go as far as Spain. Now, we don't know if he ever got to Spain, for sure. We know that he wanted to. Some people say that he got to Rome and then he went on to Spain and then he came back to Rome. Others say that He was imprisoned in Rome for a while and then he was released and he went and he eventually died in Spain. We don't know for sure. That's speculation. What we do know is that Paul wanted to go to Spain. But before he went to Spain, he was going back to Jerusalem. Now, we often read in towards the end of Acts chapter 2, don't we, about the first church, the early church being set up. And we read about how they sold their possessions and gave as people had need. This wonderful image of a church sharing together, having, having sold everything they own. But we need to be a bit careful because there is a strong suggestion that that model didn't work. Paul is going back to Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem has hit very hard times. Paul has gone around the, the Gentile churches taking in a collection, an offering, that he can then take back to the church in Jerusalem that he can share because they need this this monetary gift. He's going to be travelling. In those days, there was no bank accounts. He couldn't couldn't, um, just send them money electronically. He was going to be travelling through dangerous territory with a significant amount of, of coin, coinage. It was heavy, it was cumbersome, it was valuable. He was going to be vulnerable as he travelled. And he was going to Jerusalem, where he'd had difficulties in the past. He didn't know whether he was going to get a, a good reception or a bad reception. He didn't know if he was going to be beaten out of town, whether he was going to be mugged on the way. He's worried about this journey, and he says in chapter 15, pray for me, pray for me. He doesn't know if he's going to meet his end on this journey. And so when he's saying, greet, greet, greet all these people, say hello to, say hello to, say hello to, he's actually saying goodbye to. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see them again. And so as he's writing this letter, 
He wants to take the time to make sure that he sends what might be a final greeting to people that he loves. He remembers these people. He values what they've done for him. He loves these people. This is, this is an emotional piece of writing. We might get to the end of Romans and look at, look at chapter 16 and think, oh, just skip that bit. It's just a list. But to Paul, it is not a list. To Paul, this is Romans 16, the church directory, a list of names, a list of numbers, addresses. To anybody who doesn't know this church, you wouldn't sit down and read this. It's not interesting. A bunch of people that you don't know, a bunch of numbers that mean nothing, you're never going to call on. But as a church, this should be one of the most precious documents that we own. When we read through the names in our directory, we should feel what Paul was feeling when he wrote the end of his letter to the church in Rome. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. They risked their lives for Paul. He's going to remember them. That's going to make, a, make an impact. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Now, One of my regrets, one of my regrets is that after five years I'm leaving this church and there's an awful lot of you that I don't really know. There's an awful lot of you that I haven't had the chance to sit down and hear your story, to get to know you, to really get to understand what's brought you to where you are in life, what you've been through, what's inspired your faith. And I'm sorry for that. It's something that I recognise and I want to change in my next ministry. Now, of course, there are reasons for that. Three years as minister in training. You're only working for the church three days a week. That's a joke. You end up working for the church eight days a week and working for college eight days a week and trying to cram it all in. There were many, many nights, Joe, Joe will bear witness to this, when I was in that office there or that office up there until the dawn chorus woke suddenly made me realise that it was time to go home and get some sleep before coming back into the office. It was hard. And I'm pleased that I invested that time because I learned so much. And then, of course, I came out of college, had six or eight months to find my feet and start ministry proper. And then COVID hit. And Ian was signed off. And we've been going through that, that roller coaster ever since, and it's not been straightforward. So it's been difficult. It's been difficult. And I've had people say to me, didn't really get to know you. 
But I say, as a, I say to you as a church, as I, as I move on, I can't wait to get to my new congregation and make amends for that and get to know people and meet with people and have people round for meals and invite myself to people's houses and really forge new relationships, relationships that are not just a Sunday morning, hi, how are you doing, but a relationship based on a knowledge of what experience they've had in life, what makes them tick, what their faith journey has looked like, their highs and their lows, their pain and their pleasure knowing what it is that they've been through. But I'll tell you what, for the next minister that comes in here, smother them with invitation, get them round, have a meal, show them love. I'm not saying you haven't done that with us. Of course you have. I love this church and I'm so sad to be leaving. This is a brilliant, brilliant church. But I'm saying this because at the moment the world is on its knees. Graham just led us in prayer for some horrific events. And as he said, there's a whole host of things that he could have chosen from because the world needs the church right now. And the church at its best is a church that is close, a true church family. When we read this this list in, in, in Romans, when we read this list of names, this is a church family. Paul writes, greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He's, he's the one that Paul remembers. He thinks, oh, I'll never forget that, that, that moment when he stood up and he said, I want Jesus in my life. What do I have to do? And Paul must have been jumping up and down. Hallelujah. Someone's heard. Someone's listened. No one likes to be the first, but Eponetus, greet him. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. There are so many people in this church who work hard for the church. I was flicking through and I thought, do I run the risk of, of picking out some names? Because as soon as you pick out a name, you better name everybody or you're for it. And then I thought, I'm leaving in a couple of weeks, that's all right. <laughs> Greet Mary, who works very hard for you. Do you know what? When I was thinking of someone who who works really hard for this church, I thought of Paul Morris. After every service, Paul will be stacking up the chairs when the rest of us are still sipping coffee. You do it every week, Paul, and we celebrate you, and we love you for it, and we thank you. You work hard for this church. Greet Andronicus and Junius. My relatives who have been in prison with me, they have been outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Well, I've not spent time in prison, you'll be pleased to know. But I'll tell you what, there's a team this morning leading a service in chapel at Chelmsford Prison. I know Ian and Carol Moore are there. I'm not sure who else is there, but there is a team of people from this church who go into prison, who minister to prisoners, who who run courses which which reveal some really appalling um, emotional needs that these people have. The the experiences that have led to them being in prison, some of the stories that that Ian deals with, they are incredible. 
And I know that there are people who, who mark um, exam papers as well to try and encourage these, these, these prisoners, to try and give them a start when they come out. They've got a qualification of some sort. That is amazing work, and we celebrate that. And we should make sure that we, we pray earnestly for that ministry, because that ministry is so important, and it is so biblical. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, greet Urbanus and my dear friend, Statius. Our fellow worker, my dear friend. This is someone who, who Paul, Paul obviously had a close affinity to, someone he really valued, someone who, who encouraged him. Well, this church is not short of encouragement. I've been, I'm so grateful for the number of people who have encouraged me at different times throughout these years. I couldn't make an exhaustive list, but Barbara and Melvin Hart, you're here today. I know I've seen you. There you are. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for the encouraging notes that you've sent me throughout lockdown, the number of times that you have, have encouraged me. It has meant so much. Jill Hisco is another one who at the right time when I've just needed it, has sent me a note of encouragement, and it's meant the world to me. Liz Moody, again, the same thing. And there are so many others, people who encourage and encourage and encourage, and I'm so grateful to you. Greet those who belong to the house of Aristobulus. Greet, my, greet Herodian, my relative. Greet Tryphena and Trivosa. Those women who work hard in the Lord. A lot of people say they're twins. I don't know if there's any evidence for that or if it's just because they sound like they should be, Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> but they left an impression on Paul because they worked so hard in the Lord. We've got people in this church who have devoted their lives to, to taking the Christian message and sharing it, not just from the church, but setting up a brand new initiative. Rebecca Cornish she was rightly recognised for the work that she does with Ascension Trust and, and, and the, the charity she set up. We should celebrate that as a church. That is an incredible life work. Andy Scott Evans at Beckett Keys, again, taking a Christian message and saying, I want, I want children to be educated from a Christian ethos. These are amazing people. And it's such a privilege to stand before a church full of people who inspire me. And I will miss that. But it is right to celebrate that, to recognise it. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Isn't that incredible? Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle writing. This lady, who doesn't get a mention anywhere else in Scripture, she was a mother to me. A mother! Someone who cared for him, who loved him. Someone who fed him and gave him shelter. Someone who, who put his own well-being ahead of hers. She loved him like a mother. I couldn't think of a, a mother figure. But I could think of a father figure. None of you will know this, but during lockdown, when, when Ian was signed off, and I suddenly found myself in a position of acting senior minister, every couple of days I had a phone call from Kevin Crosswell. 
He's, he's not here today, but I hope he's watching at home or will watch at some point. Because, Kev, I've never said this to you, but that meant the world to me. Every couple of days, hi, Tom, how are you doing? How's Joe? How's Timothy? It might have felt like a small gesture, but I was aware of it. That love and that support, that was so important to me. I could turn to you and I could talk to you about anything, and I needed that at that time. And I celebrate that. And when I go through this book and I stop at your name, I will thank God for you and for what you've done for me. So I want to say thank you for that. As Paul goes through this, this, this list of names... He records person after person who has encouraged or has worked alongside him, who has been sacrificial in some way. We've got amazing people. We've got amazing people in this church. I'm always blown away at the number of people I speak to, and I say, oh, so how did you get in the church? And they drop the name Joy Peathers in. Joy seems to be one of these people who just has the innate ability to talk to somebody, and they just come to church. It's incredible. I'm always amazed at the work that, that Patsy and, and John Hancock put in to, to the brigades, to making them happen week after week. It's incredible faith. And, and I've, now I've got a son who goes to Boys Brigade and who comes home every week and he's been inspired and he loves it because there's new activities and new ideas. And you come away thinking, wow, how do they do that every week? But they do it because they want to work for Jesus. They want to work for the church. And that is, that is such a privilege. When I come down and there's, there's metres and metres of cabling and trunking on the floor and tools everywhere and ladders and stuff, I know that Tim Strickland and Alan Patel are somewhere in a building because that's what they do. They can't walk, walk into a room without taking it all apart and rebuilding it, it seems. It must be a nightmare to live with, but I'll tell you what, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. They're worth their weight in gold in the church. I think of... Joe and Hannah setting up for little lights every week and then doing the group. And I think of, of, of the ladies who do the, 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 toddler, the baby group as well in the lounge, getting everything out, setting it all up, making sure that it's a welcoming, loving environment, seeing the, um, the, the parents come in, often oh, feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders because they're shattered because it's exhausting being a parent of young children, but then they have somewhere they can come and they can experience love and they can get a hot drink, and they can have an adult conversation. And then they can go with a smile on their face, feeling better about things. That is such an important ministry. It's so good. Sunny days, Liz Tullett setting everything up and making that work, and and the joy that that brings to people who, who are struggling with life. There's so many things about this church that should be celebrated. It is so, so good. But at the heart of any church has to be relationship. It has to be relationship that is based on a deep, caring knowledge of one another. Knowing each other's stories. Breaking bread together. Sharing together. I don't want you to sit here and and feel, feel guilty that you can't remember the last time that you had someone round for a meal who you, you didn't actually know. That's not, that's not what this is about. But I do want you to be sitting here thinking, when's the next time I'm going to do it? When's the next time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite somebody into my house or I'm going to take them out for, for a coffee or, or whatever it might be and say, I want to do this because I don't know you. Not because you're a friend that I've known for 50 years, but because you're someone new. 
and I want to love you, and I want to care about you. And when the time comes in my life that I look back, and I, wrote my, I write my Romans 16, I want you to be on that list. And that's got to start with a relationship. It's got to start with a sense of purpose. Otherwise, a church is just an organisation, and all these good things happen, but it doesn't come out of a place of love. What does Jesus say when he's talking to his disciples, when he's putting in the, sort of the, the, the foundation for what the church is going to grow to be? He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the differentiator between a good organisation, a good person and a church. It's love. That's what Jesus tells us. We should love one another. And love begins with relationship. You can't love what you don't know. Jesus says, as I have loved you. How did he love Levi? He went up to the tax booth. He said, follow me. That night, they shared a meal together. How did he love Zacchaeus? He said, get down from up there. I'm coming to yours for a meal. Get down. Come on, let's go. And the impact that was made on the back of that relationship was so, so great that both of those men changed their lives forever. Both of those men were so impacted by spending time with Jesus, by breaking bread with him, that they were never the same again. And if we as a church family, if we uh, don't look around now and identify people, that would be embarrassing. But, but there will be people in this room that maybe you've never spoken to, or maybe you've just never, never thought of inviting around for a meal. Do it. Get to know each other. Get to know each other. Really and truly and deeply and sincerely, because that is a church family. That, would, that will get us to the point where when we read through this, this is not just a list. This is not just a, uh, some names and numbers that in years to come we'll look back on and think, I don't remember that person. Instead, this will become something that we look at and we feel an emotional link to. Every entry will trigger a remembrance. At the opening of the book of Philippians, at the, Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, I thank my God for all my remembrances of you. I wonder if... If you go through and think of all the names that you could list, I thank my God for all my remembrance of. How many people would you, would you list? How many people can you, can you say they were so important to me that if I'm writing a Romans 16, if I'm writing that list like Paul did, if I'm, if I'm recording the names, then, then how many people do we put on that list? It should be a long list. But of course, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not all the, people, all the Christians in Rome. This is a very small selection. But these are the people that have made such an impact on Paul. They've earned themselves a place in his remembrances. This is the legacy of these people who have served Paul in some way, who have ministered alongside Paul, who have been sacrificial, who have loved Paul. It's made such an impact that Paul 
when he finds himself in a situation where he's moving, moving on, he's going somewhere, he doesn't know what the future holds, he doesn't know if he's ever going to have the opportunity to greet these people again. These are the people that come to mind. As I move on from this church, I'm taking this with me. I don't know what GDPR will say about that. I don't care. But I'm taking this with me. Because it's not a list. It's not just a list of names. When I open this in years to come and I flick through, I'll be thanking God that I've had the privilege of starting my ministry in a church full of such faithful people, such encouraging people, such brilliant people. And I'll also be remembering how important it is to get to know people, to understand people, to spend time with people. And I pray that for the ministry team that will be here, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, whoever that is, whoever that is somewhere in the country that right now is is feeling a stirring of, of, of unsettlement in their heart, and they think, oh, I wonder if God's maybe calling me. There will be someone right now who is feeling that. And they'll go through that process and eventually they'll come here. And I pray that they will very quickly come not to see this as simply a list of names. But instead see this something more akin to a family tree. But in order for them to do that, they need to spend time with the church, and they need the church to spend time with them. So when they come, I challenge you, inundate them with invitations. I want to get to know you because I care about you, because you're ministering to me, and I want you to know my story. I want you to understand me. I want to share with you. In fact, I want to love you as Jesus loved the disciples, because that's how the world will recognise the church, because we love one another. I'm going up to Norwich, and there are going to be so many different issues that I have to face. There are going to be so many, so many social problems, and there'll be people who are challenged financially, and there'll be people who are struggling with faith, and there'll be people who don't yet know Jesus. All the same things that are happening out in Billericay. It's not that far away. Throughout this country, throughout the world, the church is needed now more than ever. How does a church set itself apart? The foundation is love. There is a closeness and a tightness. When we talk about the church family, it's not just a nice word. It's not just something we say because it sounds good. It's something we say because biblically Jesus commands us to love one another like a family, like brothers and sisters, If we don't have that foundation of love, then we're not a family, we're a fallacy. And there are churches around where you walk in and you don't feel that love. You feel a coldness, you feel a a, a certain sort of clinical um, nature. There isn't the warmth and the welcome that we have here. But we mustn't take that for granted. We must protect that. We must must nurture it. We must make sure that we, we pass it on to future generations. And we must make sure, we must make sure 
that we take it seriously, that we love each other, that we share everything together, that we can be honest with one another, that we can be vulnerable together, that we make the effort to know one another. Thank you for the past five years. Thank you for the encouragement, for the support, for the opportunity that I've been given. And don't be afraid. It's the message of the Bible, isn't it? In a nutshell, do not be afraid. God has a plan for this church. God has brought together a group of people who are more than capable of keeping church going and growing and moving on without a ministry team. But God also has a plan for the ministry team. There are people out there at the moment who are being lined up to come in here to lead this church into the next phase of ministry, and that is such an exciting thing. I encourage you, be praying and praying and praying. Be feeding into the leadership. Be sharing your thoughts and and hopes. Because if we're a true church family, we are all invested in the same thing. I want to finish just with, by praying for the church. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have brought together people with such a diverse range of skills and experiences and wisdom and knowledge, and ideas. Father, I thank you that ever since this church first started, it has been a a stronghold of the Christian faith here in Billericay. I thank you, Lord, for so many people who have come to this church, gone through the waters of baptism, and gone out into the world to share the good news of a living, loving God. Lord, I thank you that this church has given opportunity to so many and I thank you for the opportunity that I've had personally. And Lord, I pray that when we read this list of names that Paul sent to the church in Rome, Lord, I pray that it will remind us of the importance of making such an impression on each other showing such love, such devotion, such commitment that we never forget one another. Because we're not just part of a a faceless organisation, we are part of a church. And a church is a heartbeat of a community. And Lord, I pray that you will inspire the heart of this church into whatever the future holds whatever mission and ministry, whatever evangelism is going to take place, Lord, I pray that you will fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that you will fill each and every person in this church with your Holy Spirit so that when they go out into the world, they can face whatever situation they find themselves in. They can minister to whoever they meet. They can share your grace and your goodness and your love and that the world will recognise you through them. So, Father God, I thank you for this church. I pray for your blessing upon everybody in it. 
And Lord, I thank you for the family that I will be leaving and for the new family that awaits me because your church is global. Your church has has links to the family everywhere. Your church is a family that knows no bounds. And we are privileged to call ourselves members of your church. So bless us, we pray. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.